are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Please stand for the reading of scripture, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I was fortunate to have grown up in a very musically gifted family, uh, at least on my mom's side. Uh, I think she would say my dad couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Uh, But mom had majored in piano and organ in college, and her mother had been a really gifted uh, keyboard player too. Her dad was a trumpet player, and I just grew up with lots of music and uh, loved it. It was really a blessing and also a curse because growing up in this family meant that mom expected every one of her sons was going to learn to play an instrument. And so when I turned about eight, uh, mom decided that I was going to learn violin of all things. I don't know why she decided to start me on violin. I was not good at violin lessons. I did not want violin lessons. But nevertheless, I went to violin lessons because mom had said that's what was going to happen. And she had laid down the law, so I dutifully obeyed. I learned how to hold the instrument. I practiced scales. I scraped the bow across the string, even though it sounded like I was torturing a cat. And I was almost certainly torturing my family with the practice uh, until finally mom relented and realized that I did not have the heart or the skills to play violin. And then she started me on piano. Uh, I had a couple of problems. Uh, I was not motivated to play the violin. I wanted to be outside playing baseball because I was an eight-year-old boy. And that's what I wanted to be doing. And I was fundamentally just not gifted at instrumental music. I had this problem with hand-eye coordination. It was frustrating. And so, yes, I made some progress after putting in effort but I was never going to be good at it. It just did not come naturally. Now, what if instead of saying learning an instrument is a good idea and something I want you to pursue, what if instead mom said this is a commandment? To be in this family, to be a Schultz, means you will learn how to play an instrument. I would have you know, been forced to try harder. Uh, I would have probably gotten a little better at it by, you know, just the sheer commitment, you know, and gutting it out. I probably would have resented it, though, because I would have felt it was really an unfair expectation. I would have felt condemned for my failure to live up to the expectation that my mom had and and would have wondered, am I really part of this family because I just can't do this? And I would have been frustrated that my mom was demanding something that I just did not have in me to do, 
and that she couldn't help me to do, and that certainly just telling me to do it was not helping me do it. I think that's a pretty good picture of the way that we kind of tend to relate to God's law, to God's commandments. God's word tells us what we're supposed to do, what we ought to be, but they don't actually help us do those things. The law has no power to help us become what we're actually supposed to be. We could probably do better by trying harder, but it's not going to change our hearts. It's not going to give us some ability that we don't have, and we're probably going to end up feeling resentful and maybe condemned because we're not doing what we're being told we have to do. We're in this series called Foundations, where we're looking at Jesus' teaching in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And Jesus has painted this picture of what life in his kingdom, what life in the kingdom of God looks like that it shows up in unexpected ways and, and it's not defined by exterior circumstances that we tend to think of as blessing. And God wants everyone to be a part of this gracious kingdom of life and wholeness. And, and so he sends his people out and says, you are the salt of the earth that preserves and seasons and heals. And you are the light which illuminates the darkness and shows what is good, reveals what is wrong, guides and, and welcomes people into safety. And this takes us to Jesus' big idea at the beginning of the, the main heart of this sermon. If you haven't already, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you take one of those black Bibles from the seat underneath in front of you, we're on page 963. Like a preacher telling his congregation, this is what I'm going to be focusing on today. Here's my bottom line. If you only remember one thing, that's what Jesus is doing for what's going to come over the next several weeks in verse 20. Here's his summary thing. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we said back at the beginning of this series, as we go through this sermon, we're going to see how Jesus develops this idea of picturing a whole life righteousness that it reflects wise growth into becoming the kind of people God intends us to be. And the outcome of that is blessing and wholeness and rewards now and forever. And his first treatment, his first development of this idea of righteousness is this. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In these verses, in, in this Sermon of, on the Mount as a whole, Jesus is calling us to what we could say is a greater righteousness. So, yeah, in fact, if you're going to remember one thing from what we're looking at today, here it is. Relationship with Jesus produces greater righteousness. Relationship with Jesus produces greater righteousness. Jesus is looking at 
transforming us from the inside out, pr- producing a rightness, a wholeness from the inside that is deeper and bigger and stronger and better than the, the outward righteousness of the religious leaders of the day. And at first glance, at first hearing, it sounds like it could almost be another kind of law, right? Maybe a burdensome law. You need, you need to do a better job than those religious people are doing. But, but hang on, because there's good news, and we're going to see it as we go through this passage. We're going to look at this section in Matthew 5 in two parts, fulfillment and righteousness. So let's back up and start in verse 17 with this idea of fulfillment. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, you know, when somebody says, Okay, I I don't want you to think this, the reason they say that is generally because they're expecting somebody's going to think that. And I I want to clear away misconception, right? Uh, So Jesus is saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, let's let's take a minute and dive into this. That phrase, law and the prophets, is basically a summary for the Bible that Jesus and his people of that day had, the whole Old Testament. The law usually refers to the first five books ascribed to Moses, what we call the Pentateuch. And the prophets means everything else, the history and the wisdom literature and, and the books of prophecy. So why this mention of the law and the insistence that he's not overturning it? What what is this law about anyway? Well, if you ask, you know, what is the law for Marion County, Indiana, where we are right now? One answer would be the revised code of consolidated city and county Indianapolis slash Marion, Indiana, codified through ordinance number 43, 2021, passed December 26th. And here is what you'll find in the law about all sorts of things. Like this, from chapter 403, section 2. It shall be unlawful for any person to throw or deposit or aid or abet in throwing or depositing any vile, noxious, or offensive smelling or injurious liquid, gas, chemical, or solid, commonly termed a stench bomb. (laughs) It's a good rule to have. Which, upon being liberated, would molest, discomfort, offend, discommode, or injure any person or damage any property. That would be a good law to have with junior high boys around, right? One I could have used when I was 13. That's what we think of when we think of law, right? Don't throw stink bombs. Don't try faster than the speed limit. Don't rent out apartments that are unsafe and unhealthy and unfit for habitation. The law is about establishing boundaries for how we're going to live in community and how we're going to treat each other. It's a picture of the expectations for what it means to be together as a people in this place. And so God's law is defining how his covenant people will reflect his intentions, what he is like, and what he intends for his people. God's law defines what we are to be and do. And then Jesus mentions the prophets, meaning the rest of the Old Testament writing, particularly these these individuals who are called to speak forth God's word. The prophets understood and remembered and reminded people of God's covenant and the covenant obligations, and they called people back to 
faithfulness to the law when they had gotten off track and wandered away. And so Jesus says, I have not come to undo any of that. I've not come to rewrite the history. I've not come to reset the laws. I've not changing what God has said. God is doing a new thing, but it's completely in line with what he has been aiming at all along. I have come, Jesus says, to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, when we hear fulfill, we normally think of what? Like, you know, prediction. Like, Arsenal is going to win the Premier League this year. That's a prediction. And if, and if it happens, then I'm a faithful prophet. I'm reliable. Your prediction was fulfilled. That's not what Jesus is talking about, really. When he says he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he, he's calling us back to that same word that we've heard Matthew bring up multiple times already in the first four chapters of this book. It means Jesus is accomplishing everything that God has planned and promised. Jesus is doing everything that God said would take place to fulfill his plans. So what does God, what does Jesus see himself fulfilling? Okay, in, in the Old Testament, God's law, 613 of them take up a good chunk of the Old Testament, right? And, and at different times, as, as we run across these laws, they can confuse us, they can scare us, they can encourage us, they can challenge us, they can... Uh, everything in between. But that law was, was not just sort of inserted in the Bible like, you know what, we should probably have some rules around here. No, it's it's very specific and important, the role in the biblical story, because they're explaining what does God intend for his people? And what does it mean to be really human? Because to be truly whole and alive, to be fully human, is to be in a relationship with the God who made us where we hear his voice and obey what he says. That's what he created our first parents to do. And Adam and Eve in the garden were basically told, listen to my voice and you will live. And the eating of that tree that God told them not to eat from was their declaration, I'm going to put all that aside and define for myself what is good and evil. I won't listen to you. And I don't need to pay attention to you to decide good and evil for myself. And what God's intent all along has been to have a people who will listen to him and follow his voice. And by doing that, fulfill the partnership that he created us for to rule over and bless the creation. Because there's no way of fulfilling that mission apart from listening to and obeying God. God's laws are intended to show us the path to life. The whole message of every one of these laws is listen to God's voice and live. I mean, think how often that shows up in the Old Testament over and over again. But the law that points to life, if you think about it on the flip side, is warning about the death and destruction that comes when we ignore what God says. Not because God 
enjoys punishing disobedience. But because there is no life outside of God and his ways. Because God is life. God is life. And if you put yourself outside of listening to God and following his ways, there's nothing there except chaos and death and destruction. That's why he gives us the law. And the story of the Bible is every generation after Adam choosing to go their own way and experiencing the decreation and the destruction and the death that comes from wandering away from God. And that's us. We're stuck. And that's where Jesus comes in and he says, I will fulfill the law. I will do what God created humans to do. I'm going to listen to God's voice. But if you read through Matthew's gospel, you'll see that there are people who look at what Jesus is doing and think that he isn't obeying God's voice. That's why Jesus says, don't think that I have come to do something different than what God commanded. I've not come to set aside or undo or change anything that God has said. I've come to actually fulfill it. The whole point of the Bible story is our need for somebody to come and listen to God and walk in his ways. And Jesus is saying, I've come to do that. I've come to do what the law requires. Jesus is what the whole Bible is pointing us towards. He's the culmination. He's the fulfillment of the whole story. So Jesus did not come to change or undermine or set aside the point of God's covenants with Abraham and and Isaac, and Moses, and David, and all of them, he's the point of those covenants. He's the fulfillment of it. And that leads us to the second point that Jesus is getting at. The need for righteousness, or being right in ourselves. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 18. For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, uh, I'm old enough that I grew up going to church and hearing the old King James Version, and I I keep hearing this in my head, it's not one jot or tittle of the law. And and it's basically, if you think about a, a, a dot at the top of a lowercase i, or like if, however your Bibles are printed, if you have a serif font, the, the, little, the little flourish that, that distinguishes, helps distinguish one letter from another. That's what Jesus is saying, that the tiniest marking, none of it, none of it will pass away until heaven and earth pass away, until all is accomplished. It, it, it's a way of referring to the age to come, that the kingdom of God fully in place in heaven and, and everything that will happen when God's reign returns to earth. So, you see, heaven and earth passing away and all things accomplished are are kind of parallel statements. When all is accomplished, heaven and earth will pass away, and this age ends. So the question is then, does the law end when all is accomplished? Because we could read it as saying, you know, it's sort of like, well, it's, it's not going to pass away until 
everything's accomplished. But maybe it does pass away when everything's accomplished. Jesus later says in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Okay, so the, the world is going to be changed. The nature of reality is going to be different somehow at the return of Jesus. But his words, his commandments, his will will never change or pass away. So does God's law change? Will it be in effect forever? It depends on what we mean by the law, right? Some of the requirements, like the sacrificial system, have clearly been fulfilled and passed away in Jesus, right? Like, the, the book of Hebrews makes it clear Jesus is the final, perfect, great high priest. He is the last once and for all sacrifice for sin. His blood covers every sin and trespass. Some of the other commandments apparently still are in effect. As we're going to see over the next few weeks, Jesus takes those commands about things like murder and lust and honesty and retaliation and love for neighbor and, and he actually intensifies them saying it's, it's not just about you know not murdering your neighbor great good for you but let's really talk about what's going on in your heart and your attitude towards that person in other words jesus is aiming at again whole person integrated righteousness that's what the law is about it's showing us what god is like and what he intends for his people to be like. That his character gets lived out in us as we listen to him and obey him. Look at verse 19 as Jesus goes on. Therefore, therefore, because of the enduring significance of the law as a reflection of who God is, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's, there's a bit of play on words here. The, the relaxes is from the same root as abolish, where Jesus again says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. And, and then there's this parallel idea of the, the least of the commandments and least in the kingdom of heaven. So what is, what is Jesus saying here? No one can set aside... Just like Jesus is saying, no one can abolish even the smallest command, the smallest part of God's intentions and God's desires and God's will for us as his people. And if you do that, if you teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I don't think Jesus is saying there's like a ranking system in the kingdom and, you know, because you ignored and downplayed God's commandments, you're going to be down here and the people who obeyed him are up here. I think he's saying among those in the kingdom, those who are actually in the kingdom, you will be recognized as the least. Because to reject God's commandments, to say, I don't need to listen to what God says. Am I even in the kingdom of God? If I don't love what God says to me, if I don't listen to his voice and trust him, am I in the kingdom? It's a euphemistic way of saying, yeah, if you're setting aside God's commandments and saying, I don't have to listen to him, you're not in God's kingdom. And maybe that sounds harsh to us. Wait, I, th I thought Jesus came to set us free from the law. Yes, yes, Jesus has come to set us free from keeping the law as a way of 
being reconciled to God, as a way of being right to him, as a way of earning something with him. Jesus sets us free from law-keeping as a measure of how much God loves me. Jesus sets us free from law-keeping as a marker of my own righteousness. But Jesus is not here to abolish the law or the prophets. He's not come to say, you know, God loves you and he just wants you to do whatever makes you happy. That's the message of the liar, the serpent in the garden. Do whatever seems good to you. I mean, you sin, God forgives. It's a great arrangement, right? No, heaven forbid. In, in other words, if, the, if someone adopts the attitude that says, you know what, Jesus paid for my sins and now I'm free to do whatever I want, Jesus is saying, you are in terrible danger. The grace of God has never been a license to, to do whatever we want. You, you can't say, you know, I'll take all the, I want all the benefits of uh, uh, being chosen and loved by God, but I, but I don't want any of the requirements of his love. That's not how a relationship with God works. In fact, that's not how any relationship works, right? Every relationship that you have, whether it's with a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a pet or a thing, it comes with demands. It comes with expectations. It comes with responsibilities, right? How many of you have pets? If you love a pet, you feed it, you water it, you walk it, right? If you have a child, you feed it, you water it, you walk it. If you have a spouse, you know, you, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't take it too far. You get the point. Has God called out to you in love to be reconciled to him? And have you responded to that love with a love and a trust of your own? That's awesome. That, that's what God wants for you. Congratulations. You have a relationship with God. And because you're in a relationship with God, just like in any relationship, there are boundaries and, and there are markers and there are expectations in that relationship. Whoever does and teaches others to do God's will, to fulfill God's law, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus then is going to go into a little more depth describing what that righteousness, that right-centeredness looks like in verse 20 where we started. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And man, I hear that and it sounds like terrible news, right? I mean, I, I know I could do better, but to be told that God expects a righteousness greater, greater than the Bible nerds and, and the theology experts and the people who like spend all day just soaking in God's word to try and make sure they're doing the very best they can to obey him. And I'm supposed to do better than that. That's impossible. I feel defeated just even thinking about it, right? But the good news here is what Matthew means by righteousness. Throughout throughout. Everything that we've seen of Jesus' life and, and how it's going to get played out in Matthew's gospel, righteousness means a, a kind of fully integrated, whole person behavior that's in line with God's nature and his will, and it's lived out in light of his coming kingdom. That's the greater righteousness. 
that Jesus wants and actually produces in the people that follow him. An integrated life lived with God in the power of God the Spirit that reflects what his kingdom looks like. So, so what do we do with this? Well, a couple of thoughts of you know, application, things that maybe we'd take home, reflect on. Jesus is going to bring the law at last to fulfillment. He has come to fulfill the law in himself, which means anyone who is connected to Jesus by faith is released from the burden and the curse of the law. That is good news. Jesus has come to fulfill the law because we can't. He's come finally, the one person who will actually do what God commands, and he does it in our place so that we rest by faith in his obedience. My right standing with God is not based on how I'm performing or whether I had a quiet time or whether I yelled at my kids this week or how good of a job I did at work or any of those things. It's based on what Jesus has done. Knowing that we can't. The burden is off. Oh, that's what Jesus wants you to see. Free from the burden of law-keeping as a way to, to... earn God's love or prove your righteousness. Jesus has come to fulfill all of it. It's it's finished. It's his obedience that justifies you before the Father if you are in Christ by faith. That also means, on the other side, we're called to actually a greater or a deeper righteousness. God's grace is never a blank check that God hands over to us to say, okay, I love you, now go do whatever you want. No, that, that's the way to chaos and death and destruction that Jesus has come to save us from. The Apostle Paul writes to Titus, warning about ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. There's a good old-fashioned word, lawlessness. Ungodly persons turn God's grace into an excuse to do whatever they want. And he he reminds us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to say no to ungodly passions. And and maybe there's something going on in in your life, in your heart, in my life, where, you know, we kind of kid ourselves. Well, God loves me. That, you know, he doesn't care about that. That's not a big deal. You know, Jesus died for that. So I I can go over there and do that thing that I want and no problem. No, God is saved us for a greater, deeper, whole life righteousness. And then, you know, I, I think it's helpful, it's good for us to recognize there's a lot of the Old Testament law that we don't understand. And that's okay. I mean, it, it's helpful for us to remember that the Bible is written for us, but it was not written to us. I mean, us literally in this room. It was written to God's people two, three, four, five thousand years ago in a different place with different cultural setting, different challenges, different questions. And so, 
you know, the, the Bible isn't going to necessarily answer all the questions that, that we want to ask it, and we may run across things that, that don't make sense the first time we read through, and that's okay. We can wrestle with those things. We, you know, we, we look for better understanding. We can read good resources, but ultimately we trust that the law is a reflection of who God is and his good purposes for his people. Even if we don't understand some of what that meant in that context 3,500 years ago. So we can rest in, in knowing the character and the purposes of God. Well, I, uh, I grew up in a church going home. Uh, I didn't really come to faith in, until later in life. But growing up, you know, I heard Bible stories. I knew some of God's word. I was certainly familiar with the Ten Commandments, some of the other laws, some of the ethical codes. I remember what I really could not make sense of was passages I'd run across where the biblical writers go on and on about how they love God's law and how awesome and wonderful it is. Like Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter than honey. And that made no sense to me as a kid at all because I would much rather have the gold. And dessert always sounds good. I could not understand, make any sense out of how God's law was something to delight in or to desire because to me it seemed like all the law did was tell me what not to do, especially when it was something I wanted to do and then condemn me for doing the thing that I wanted to do and, and then threaten me with what would happen when I disobeyed because I disobeyed. So I had little use or interest in God's law, except for, you know, it was handy when I could point to the things that my brothers were doing that were not in line with God's law, right? That's always good. But then by faith, I, I came to see and understand and embrace Jesus and what he has come to do, that, that he came to fulfill the law and take the penalty my disobedience and my failure to be and to do what God's commanded me. He took it on himself. And by faith, I received that gift of Jesus' forgiveness, and I came to know God as a loving father, not an angry, condemning judge. And, and then, now his law, oh, his law, now it, now it suddenly could make sense, you see. Now his law was beautiful because I have a father who is wise and good and smart and knows what I need better than I do. And he, he shows me the way to live because he's good and, and he wants what's good for me and, and it's still a struggle, but now I want to obey. And, and, and when I stumble and fall, I, I'm not destroyed, I, I'm, I'm not crushed because Jesus has fulfilled the law's demands in himself so that when I fail, I don't need to hide in fear. I, I don't need to try and cover up where I've failed with some you know, petty righteousness of my own. Because Jesus is my righteousness. And, and His Spirit helps me now to obey and, and to walk with Him and to be at peace. Isn't that what you want? To be a person that would not only want what is good and beautiful and true and right, but to be growing to be a person who actually does those things from the inside out, like I could never be practicing violin 
because there was no way for my mom to somehow infuse me with a spirit of violin excellence and love. But that's what God's Holy Spirit actually does in us. He comes to live in us to give us a, a love for God and a new life and a new ability to do what we could never do. That's what God wants for you. That's what God promises when he says through the prophet Jeremiah, I will write my law on their hearts and take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they will obey me. That's what God wants for you. That's what God is offering for you in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus that produces a greater righteousness. Oh, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to him and trust him. Let's pray. Run, John, run the gospel, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. What better news the gospel brings that bids us fly and gives us wings. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have come to do what the law could never do because of the weakness of our flesh. You have fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law for us so that now the law could be lived in us and through us by your Spirit. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us to see and trust and follow you. Help us to be people who now, like you, hear the voice of the Father and obey gladly. Not in the old way of the flesh, but in the new way of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We pray with gratitude and hope in your name. Amen.